today because I won't be going to one particular text that is that I'm just going to pick apart and try to pull as much meat out of it as we can in one sitting. We're actually going to start at the beginning of Acts and make it all the way through to the end of Acts. And for those of you that are here with me normally, we're not going to do it the way I typically do it. Just trust me. We'll, we'll get done today. It'll be all right. But we will cover the whole book of Acts. We're, we're going to kind of take a 30,000-foot view. But the reality is, is that Jesus is coming back to get us. That, that's our great hope. Is that reason for us to be here to worship? Absolutely. Jesus is coming back to get his people. But in the meantime, he has a reason that he's left us here. And today we're going to kind of approach that reason and that perspective by just asking a question. What, what if? What if? There's really two very powerful words, if you think about it, two inconsequential words by themselves, what and if by themselves. They don't mean much. They, they, don't, they don't always pertain or, or, or uh, make a big difference in, in the context in which they sit. You know, they're not often the very focus of, of the sentences that they reside in. But the reality is, by themselves, this question, what if, is extremely powerful, if you think about it. Because as we ask that question, it can do a couple of things for us. It can motivate us to action. For example, what if there's a better way to get from point A to point B than walking all the time? That's, it's, they tamed horses, and they began to ride horses. That moves to buggies, which eventually moves to vehicles. And now, man, what if, what if? There's a better way than cars. Somebody's asking that question. What if there's a better way to run a car than on gasoline? People are asking that question. What if? What if? What if there's a better way to communicate than through snail mail or the old letters? Some of you probably aren't old enough to have ever sent a letter. But we used to do that. You know, what, what if there's a better way? People have asked that question. It moved them to action. It moved them to find ways better more expedient, quicker. What if we can take the basic computer processing power, wrap it in an aesthetically pleasing aluminum case, put an apple on the back, and call it a tablet? What if? Man, this has revolutionized my life. It's the truth. It's not my God, but I'm going to tell you it's been a very helpful tool. What if, I, what if I take this chance, if I look at this opportunity and I take it? What if I take this chance? What if I don't take this chance? Will I always be asking, what if? It's powerful. But these words may not motivate us to action. For some of us, they may actually, actually stop us in our tracks. They may cause us to, to stop and do nothing. This isn't me, but it's when I thought of. I, I want to ride that roller coaster, but what if? What if the maintenance guys that day were hung over from the night before? And what if they didn't see the broken track? And what if a car goes hurtling off the broken track and kills everybody in it? Please don't. I, I don't mean to be morbid, but really, what if? What if I happen to be in that car when it goes flying off the tracks? Because that's when it really matters, right? If I'm in it. Well, maybe if you're in it. You know, I guess it depends on your perspective. What if? I've got this really pertinent, important, relevant thing to say floating around in my head. It will change this conversation. It will change perspectives. But what if they don't agree with me? What if 
they don't like me because of what I have to say? What if they reject me because they don't like my perspective? Maybe I just won't say anything. What, what if I take this chance? What if I take this opportunity? What if I do this and the benefits that I've been promised or that I'm hoping for aren't what happens? What if? You see, it can, it can move us. It can stop us. And these two words can teach us. What if I handled that situation differently? On the backside of a struggle, what, what, what if I had done that differently? Maybe I could have spared myself and others a lot of grief. I can learn from that. You can learn from that. What if I had followed the instructions on that piece of furniture? I wouldn't have a pile of sticks in my living room. What if I had taken the opportunity that I had when I had it? You know, we can learn. And really, the thing is, is sometimes what ifing it isn't helpful at all. I mean, we can what if, maybe you've heard it said this way, we can what if things all day long. The reality is we live in this present reality. We live in this moment. And looking back sometimes is not always helpful. And it's not always uh, um, uh, practical or, or purposeful. Maybe sometimes we don't need to do that. But today, I, I want to ask this question over and over and over as we just get an overview of what Jesus has left us here to do. You see, the thing is, is that Jesus is coming back. But he left us for a purpose. What if? What if we actually get a hint of that purpose, grab hold of it, and run with it? What if? What if we can understand what Jesus had for us? What if we can understand what he intended for us? Well, that's what I want to do today, and just, just to deal with it. But before we can even get to what Jesus has for us, I think we have to ask one big overarching question. It's going to tie us all together, bring us all to the same place, all to the same. It's going to level the playing field. Because I'm not better or more worthy. You're not better or more worthy. We're not, we're not in a place where we get to stand and look at others. We have been saved by grace. It's not of yourself, right? So, so let's ask the question, what if God looked down on this mess we'd made and decided not to do anything? I mean, really, that's where the heart of all we are and who, what we have to do, that's, that's the heart of where it all starts. That's the beginning of it. What if, what if God looked down, saw us, and just decided in himself, you know, I've, they have done this to themselves. Let them deal with it. Let them, let them have the consequences. Let them experience my wrath. Let them be what they wanted to be. What if he decided not to redeem a people and restore his creation? But what if he had considered this plan, he had decreed, and, and that, he didn't, that, that he just didn't have it in himself to get it done? Well, what if this God that the Bible teaches us is omnipotent, omniscient? What if this God with these eternal attributes didn't really have it all to do what he said he's going to do? What if? Well, what if God had gotten caught up in all the what ifs. You know, what if he had allowed that to freeze him in place and do nothing? What if God wasn't the sovereign ruler over all the universe? What if? I mean, really, think. Where would we be? What if? What if the Father had never sent the Son, Jesus the Son had never died in our place for our sins as the perfect and only acceptable sacrifice to appease the wrath of the Father? What if Jesus had never done that 
And if you think back, for those of you that are members here and regular, regular here, think back to Easter. What would have happened had he still been in the grave? What if he had never risen again? What if? Let's see that there may be danger of stating the obvious. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could all figure this out pretty easily, but our Bibles would be a lot shorter, wouldn't they? It would be the end. Old Testament, boom, stops. Really nothing to talk about Jesus because he's still dead in the grave. Nothing to tell about Jesus because there's no sense in hearing about him. There's nothing there for us. The Acts of the Apostles, the, the letters to the churches, they, they, who would have written them? In fact, we might as well go home, right? I mean, the beauty of the story and the thing that ties us all together is that when we what if this, we can go to the Scriptures and we can hear the truth and we can know the truth and experience the truth in this present reality that God did do these things. That God did send His Son. Jesus did die on the cross in your place for your sins. He took your place and accepted the wrath of God and He says, now you stand in mine and take my righteousness. He did do that. He did rise on the third day. He did demonstrate that there is life after death, that there is hope for a greater future. He did make promises that now we can believe because we see his power evident in him. You see, he did do these things. And so what ifing that may not be extremely practical, but at least for us it gives us that starting point because God has done this. The rest of what we'll talk about today actually matters. It's important. It actually means something. and actually should be, I think, at the heart of who we are and what we do. Otherwise, we might as well just go home. There's better things to do. But because he did, because he did this, we can do what he's called us to. Let's just deal with it. We're going we're gonna to start in Acts chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, uh, you can, I'm going to be skipping all the way through at different points, and we're going to look at different highlights of this, this, this chapter, this book. <clears throat> but I don't want you to think I don't want you to use your Bible. However, I just want you to be able to keep up. The verses will be on the screen. If you've got a smart device, I loaded all the verses we're going to be in on the YouVersion Live uh, app that we use here. And <clears throat> so you can follow along pretty easily there. But we're just going to jump in. Acts 1, we're going to pick up kind of where Brent started this morning. Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Here, just let me give you this encapsulated thought with those, those two verses. The disciples had one view of what needed to happen now. They thought it was time. They thought, all right, Jesus, do it. We're ready we, we, got, we, we got this, you know, let's go, let's take care of it. Let's, let's get this done. It's, it's finished. You're, you're back. Everything's great. This is what you're about doing, right? And Jesus says, wait a minute. You're not the ones in charge here. You don't need to worry about things that are out of your control. You don't need to be concerned with that. But, he says in verse 8, in almost a rebuke, but an extremely prophetic passage. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What if Jesus had never said these words? Or what if? Oh, would your life be different? Would their lives have been different? 
Now, what if the disciples hadn't figured out what Jesus wanted them to do? What if he hadn't given them clear vision and command to live in such a way that they were witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth? What if Jesus had never given this vision for his people and this expectation of this people? Would you and I have ever heard the story? I mean, would the, would the apostles have gotten together waiting on the Holy Spirit to come down on them? looking for power and opportunity to witness? Or or were they just gotten together, closed themselves up in a room and started discussing the end times and trying to figure out, put a date to it, you know, oh, well, it's May 21st. No, it's October 21st. Oh, 2012. That's the end. You know, is that what they'd have given their time and energy and effort to? Is is that what they would have sacrificed their lives for? Would they have died and become martyrs for for their thoughts and perspectives and and their views of the end times? Uh, Peter's a... Peter's a preterist and Paul's a premillennial. So would they have died for that? Is that what they would have done? Is that, what, is that what would have been important to them? I don't know. Because Jesus did say this. And what unfolds in the pages of the book of Acts is you seeing them give their lives to make a reality of what Jesus commanded them. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful story. And what if? What if Jesus had given these commands and then not considered how they'd get that done? Now, in chapter 1, we learn that the church is is 120 people strong at this point. The followers of Jesus are about 120 people. And Jesus has just told them to reach the whole world. How about if I came to our church? We're we're really, our our membership is right around 60 people. We have have people that visit in and out. It's a little bit bigger than that. But but if, if I came to our membership, the core of who we are. If I came to us and I said, all right, it is our job to reach the world. Jesus said it. We got to do it. Man, that would be overwhelming. It's difficult enough to figure out how to reach this neighborhood. It's huge. It's a big thing. What if Jesus had just left it there? All right, this is my command. You guys go and figure it out. The beauty of the story is he didn't. You see, the story continues. It it moves on. It goes forward. And we jump over to Acts chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, where this huge and significant event takes place on a very special day in Jerusalem's uh, 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 life. It was Pentecost. And part of Pentecost was that every male of a certain age would gather in Jerusalem and observe the, the festivities, observe the festival. And so the city was full. And it says this, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem. This is verse 5, we'll read through verse 11. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. That blows my mind. I've I've preached through this passage as part of the... It's part of what Jesus was using in my life. I didn't read church planting books. I didn't go to a bunch of conferences and figure out what kind of church to plant. I was reading the book of Acts, maybe the greatest book written on church planting ever. And and this was something that every time I read it, I I just just, stick. I'm like, wow. You got to be kidding me. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are gathered because this, this overwhelming thing is happening and they are seeing and hearing God's praises being proclaimed, but they're hearing it in their own language. 
They were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They knew these men shouldn't have been speaking their language. They knew that these people, this 120 people that the Spirit poured itself out on, they knew that they shouldn't have been speaking in all of these different languages. How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from, from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. What if Jesus had not seen fit to do this. You see, each one of these what-if questions, they only become pertinent or helpful to us if we strive to learn through it. And so each of these what-if questions, it does us no good to what if if we're not going to try and bring practical application, purposeful application. And so through it, we're going to build this idea. We're going we're to drum up this, this understanding. We're going to build these principles. Maybe there's a better way to say it. We're going to build these principles that will help us understand how to become the church Jesus expects us to be. How to become a church that plants churches. How to become a church that, that makes disciples. How to become the church that fulfills the vision as we stated. We are people who live in worship and lead others to live in worship. How, how are we going to get there? These are principles. And, and the reality is in these two passages, we see our first principle. Jesus will ensure that his people are empowered to fulfill his mission. That's the first principle. That's the thing that we need to cling to that needs to motivate us to move. That when we ask what if, no longer do we have to cower in fear, but we can get up and run. We can be innovative and creative. We can push forward in the face of adversity. Jesus will ensure that his people are empowered for his mission. You heard it in Acts 1 through 8. Well, 1, 6 through 8, you heard it. He laid out the command. He laid out the vision. He laid out the expectation on his people. Don't get caught up in all of this junk. Do this. Be my witnesses. That's one singular focus. Do you think in our ADD society that we could just learn to focus on this one thing? Be my witness. Jesus, how are we going to get that done? I will empower you through my spirit for this purpose. You see, here's what I think oftentimes we mistake. I think we mistake our desires for a reason that the spirit should act. And so we get upset when God doesn't show up and do the things we want him to do, or he doesn't react or empower us to do the things we think we should be doing. He gives his spirit to empower his mission. And so if you're not seeing spiritual fruit, if you're not seeing spiritual work in your life, then maybe you need to figure out what you need to do to get on his mission. That's principle number one. If we're going to be the church Jesus expects us to be, first we need to understand his mission and understand what he called us to. And we need to understand that he empowers us for that. Man, it's amazing. Amazing. Here these people are doing this wonderful thing. Some people are in awe. I mean, they're like, can you believe this is happening? Aren't these people Galileans? How is it that we hear this? And then some, we're not going to read the passage, but some began to scoff and make fun. Oh, they're just drunk. 
You've heard me say this before. I mean, come on. Alcohol does not make people speak different languages. It may make you slur your speech, but you won't all of a sudden know how to speak a language you've never studied. Come, really? Is that your best? They're drunk? And as I thought about that, I thought, well, what, what if the very next thing, the very next pertinent event didn't take place? What if Peter, in the midst of all this, didn't preach? What if he didn't preach? Well, what if he didn't get up and, and, and direct, or, or I'm sorry, rebuke the scoffers? What if he didn't get up and give direction and encouragement to those, to any who would listen? What if he had just left it? What if, what if in the midst of all this and people laughing and making fun, he had just done nothing? That's not what Peter did, though, is it? You see, he hears the scoffing. He hears the laughing. He hears the people in awe. And he stands up and he draws them to this place where they can understand. They're no longer asking questions about what's happening here. He is teaching them what's happening. And he gives them the very first, at least the first recorded gospel proclamation that, that happened publicly that we know of. He stands there and it's probably, it's, it's a message that, it's verses 15 through 36. And the message probably only took 10 or 15 minutes. And I know you guys are thinking, man, I wish that's the way it worked around here. But the reality is he preached much longer than that. He just allowed them to ask a question in the middle. He, he takes about 10, 15 minutes to preach through this gospel proclamation, to tell them what's happening, to tell them that they've killed their Messiah. And it comes to this place where, where we see their reaction. I think it's about in verse 40 or 41. He says that he tells them you've killed Jesus and he's been made Lord in Christ. And they get it. They understand it. Their ears hear it. Their eyes see it. Their hearts understand it. They're cut to the quick, to the depths of who they are. And they say, what do we do? What do we do? I can only imagine that if Peter hadn't preached that day, that a lot of people would have gone home and thought, man, we saw a pretty cool thing happen today. God was at work, and they'd gone on about their lives. And some people would have gone off and, and hung out with their friends and said, you should have seen these drunk people this morning. I don't know what they were thinking or what they were doing. There was craziness going on up in there. But see, Peter stood up in the middle of it, in the midst of some great deeds and great works, and he brought a very specific application. With laser intensity, with pure spiritual force, he stands up and he proclaims the gospel. And listen to what happens. Acts 2.41, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Imagine, what if Peter hadn't preached that day? You see, part of one of the principles that we need to understand and, and grab hold of and, and allow to be a part of who we are and what we do, is certainly we need to understand Jesus' mission as given to us, the church. Certainly we need to understand that he has empowered us for his mission. And also we need to get this, that clear, unfiltered, undiluted gospel proclamation is the seed that brings forth to the church. 
Your works, my works, our efforts, our good deeds, apart from gospel proclamation, apart from us being bold enough to say the words, Jesus died in your place for your sins, they will only ever come back to this place in most cases in, in such a way that people look at us and say, those are good people. You cannot separate our good works and the power of God at work from, uh, in us from a verbal proclamation of the gospel. Does that mean we're always coming to people and saying that, you know, saying the gospel proclamation over and over? No. But everything we do has to lead to this place where they hear the truth. We can't expect people to figure that out on their own. They're lost. Lost people need help being found. The world is in darkness. You ever tried to stumble around in the dark? If you don't already know the place you're at, you're not going to get where you want to go. Who knows? I mean, there's no telling what you'll do. Stub a toe or break a, I don't know, break your foot. Who, who knows? But it's doubtful that you'll find what you need. We have to add to his mission, to his power, our gospel proclamation. I don't know why God chose to work this way. Would those 3,000 people have been saved anyway? Man, when you think of God's sovereignty, you can't help but think, yeah, he'd have saved them however he was going to. But for whatever reason, he looked at his people and he said, this is your part to play. This is what I want you to do. It's my mission, it's my power, and it's my message through your mouths. We got to get it. We got to do it. If we're going to be a church that leads others to worship, if we're going to be worshipers that lead others to worship, if we're going to be a church that makes disciples, if we're going to be a church that plants churches, we got to get it. We'll fast forward just a little bit. Church is doing really well. I think they're up at around 5,000 people at this point. They've had some struggles. They've got some widows that are complaining. And so the apostles recognize we can't do it all. We're just people. We can't do everything. We need help. And so they establish what many people interpret to be the first diaconate or the, the first set of deacons. And they, they ask for seven men to be, to be appointed out of, the, out of the church. And they say, here's the qualifications. We expect them to be this, 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 and this. And so the church appoints them. You know, they, 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 they raise them up. And one of those people just happens to be this guy, Stephen. Now, if you know Stephen's story, you already, maybe already know where I'm going, but I just want you to know that Stephen was, he was no ordinary dude. He wasn't just your guy that's showing up at church on Sunday and kicking it and, and then going home and not doing anything the rest of the week. The, the, the scripture tells us that Stephen is full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. He was a guy who God was so powerfully working through that he was healing people, that he was doing miracles, and people were seeing grace and power evident in him. It was obvious to the world around him. There was more to him than met the eye. They knew it. They saw it. But he gained so much attention that people started getting upset with him, and he began to get to be opposed. Maybe we would consider it to be unwanted. Say, but we don't, I don't need that kind of attention. I don't need to kind of deal with that stuff. You know, I'm just going to, I'm just trying to get by. But Stephen, man, he, he got it. He got all kinds of unwanted attention. And so these people uh, began to, to uh, get, make all kinds of false accusations against him and build this whole case against him that was trumped up and full of lies. And they eventually bring him and put him in front of the Jewish council, the leader's council, and, and, they, bring, and um, they, they ultimately accuse him of all this in front of the leadership. And Stephen, Stephen won't back down. 
And so Stephen preaches and reminds the Jews where they've been and how God has brought Jesus through them. And now that Jesus is the Messiah, he's not backing down. That's his sermon in a very small nutshell. They get mad. Oh, man, they got mad. I mean, they got mad at him like you probably have never been mad at. They grabbed him, they drug him out of the city, and they stoned him to death. I've made some people mad, but nobody's ever stoned me. I mean, that's big. That's the kind of attention I don't want. It's probably the kind of attention that you don't go looking for. And by all accounts in the world, by every perspective I think that these people had, the men who accused Stephen were considered to be the victors. They had won. They'd overcome. Stephen's dead. His message is done. He's gone. We can move on. What if Stephen had never been martyred? What if he'd never been martyred? Would, would we be able to finish the story of Stephen if he had not died and he had, he had overcome that, that opposition? Could we continue to read the story in Acts chapter 8 and say this? Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. But would it be that in that day that God decided to work what looked like a loss to be a victory? Would it be that God would have spread his word to those places? Remember again, where did Jesus say I'm going? Or you're going? Or you're to take my message? Where did Jesus say? Jerusalem. Say it. Thank you. Yeah, I know. I don't ask for participation much. I expect you guys just to listen to me. I'll give you that. But I needed it there. I appreciate it. Thank you. Judea and Samaria. He meant for them to go there. And all of a sudden, what he said was going to happen, happens. Now, it may not be the way we'd expect it to happen, would it? I mean, who wants to think that God allowed this death, a brutal death, so that his word might be moved forward? Man, that's harsh, isn't it? It's difficult to deal with. What if in believing, what if in believing all that Jesus has ever said, what he's promised us, we, we, we can recognize. What if Stephen wasn't really beaten? Where's Stephen today? He's with the Lord. Is that, is that a loss or is that a gain? You see, God wasn't beaten. His mission wasn't defeated. In fact, it was just moved forward. The timeline was accelerated. And all of a sudden, they went from Jerusalem, one city, to Judea and Samaria. And all of these peoples whose lives have been turned upside down by the gospel, who have been given this fruit and given this love and given this power and given this mission, are now living in the very places he was intending them to go all along. It was all part of his plan. Here's the principle that we need to understand if we're going to be a church that plants churches, a, a church that makes disciples, that worships and leads others to worship. Advancing the kingdom costs. Advancing the kingdom costs. Jesus, when he said to his disciples, you're going to go and be my witnesses in Judea, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, 
he didn't expect for them to go and sit and kick it on the beach and drink, I don't know, what Bahama Mama. I don't know if, you know, that's not what his intention was. Is, did he say that? Is he said, hey, when you're not relaxing, <laughs> the Fresh Prince of Bel Air just came to mind. I'm sorry. I, I don't know how, but it did. When you're not relaxing and doing the things that you feel like you ought to do, why don't you squeeze in some time to witness for me? Is that how he said that? No. Advancing the kingdom costs. Now, here's the deal. We're not all called to be martyrs. You may not have to die for your faith. I may not have to die for my faith. But are you willing to die for your faith? Are you willing to take that stand? Are you willing to be so bold to bring the proclamation of the gospel that it might bring unwanted attention? That you might lose a job? That you might lose a friend? That's a boldness that I don't think many people are calling other people to anymore. But it's our singular focus in the church, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't that the one thing Jesus left for us to do? Be his witnesses. There's varied ways we can do that, and that, that's how the rest of the New Testament breaks out. But advancing the kingdom cost. Success in the kingdom of God may at times look like defeat in the world, but know this. Jesus said it, and you can take it to the bank. The gates of Hades will not overcome his church. There is nothing that can stop God's work. Nothing. We bring the gospel, and God will bring the results. It may cost us, but you can trust that God's going to do what he's going to do. Fast forward a little bit. Actually, we get to kind of pick up from where we were at with Stephen. Stephen's standing there. It says that Saul is approved, approving of his execution. Saul becomes Paul. Here's this guy, man. He is dead set on ruining the church. I, it's my mission in life to end the church. I'm tired of them. They're a thorn in my side. I don't want anything to do with them. He gets permission to go to Damascus and, and, and kill and arrest and bring people to justice, at least his idea of justice. And on his way, Jesus shows up, knocks him on the ground, knocks him off his horse. He's on the ground. Jesus puts him in his place. He, he brings him to a place where he is blinded physically but given sight spiritually and all of a sudden he recognizes that jesus is the messiah he says all right go to damascus go on to damascus and stay and wait while he's at damascus the the spirit intercedes and does some work with paul and he recognizes he's had this vision i'm I'm waiting for this guy ananias to show up ananias doesn't want to go because he's heard about saul my god isn't that the guy that's killing us is this really where you want me to go that's where i want you to go so Ananias goes, and while he's there, he, he, he ministers to Paul. He, he, the, something like scales fall off of Saul's eyes. I mean, he's, he's still Saul at this point. The, the scales fall from his eyes. He's given his sight, and the Scripture tells us that he immediately went to the synagogues and proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah. Immediately. He didn't wait. And there's so many things we can learn about Paul. There's so many things in his ministry. Eventually, he goes on three missionary journeys. He, he's, he writes so much of the New Testament. I mean, like 30% of the New Testament. Through him, God brought the gospel to every resident in, in, in Asia. Hey, Paul is in Ephesus for two years. Acts 19.10 tells us through that ministry, 
Paul, in one little place, all the residents of Asia heard the gospel. Ephesus is a little city compared to all of Asia. God gave him great power to work miracles. There was, there's a story in verse 11 that tells us that, that people would, would touch uh, handkerchiefs to his skin. It'd be like my little sweat rag here. They'd come and touch it and they, my sweat be on it and take it and put it on some sick person and they'd get well. That's how rich and thick and full of God's power he was. He couldn't contain it. It was in his sweat glands. It was big. Well, there's so many things we could learn from Paul, but maybe I think the best thing, at least for this perspective today, is that we need to know this. Every time Paul went out, he was the front man, and he got a lot of attention. But he was never by himself. There were times when he sat in a prison in chains, and he might have been alone. But on these missionary journeys, he didn't travel alone. He went with teams. The churches set apart partners to go with him. It says, it, it, it tells us, in fact, in Philippians, we're going to step out of Acts for just a second to, so you can gain a perspective of some of the stuff he did in Acts. He says, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. When Paul's out doing the gospel, he's, he's known to be a tent maker. He's known to make a way for himself. But in this passage, we immediately learn that he's not meeting all his own needs. His tent making can't suffice. It doesn't suffice. It doesn't meet his needs. It doesn't meet all the needs of his team. He says, even in Thessalonica, you sent for me, sent help for me. Oh, you sent help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You see, one of, the, one, of, one of the most powerful and potent parts of Paul's ministry was that he wasn't alone. And this is a principle we need to get. We are not called to this alone. Sixty people to reach the world sounds overwhelming. We're not by ourselves. But we're not doing this by ourselves. We've got a work to do here. This, that, that's local to us. We've got a work to do here in which we're called to be the pro- proclaimers of the gospel. We have a work to do here in which we're called to be the, the hands that gather people in to hear the gospel. We've got a work to do here that calls us to be the legs that support the mission of the gospel. We've got that work to do here. But to the ends of the earth, we're never going to get that done alone. And the beauty of what's going on today, and many of you don't know because you're visiting with us, but the reality is today's a special day for us. Because like every other church that's a part of this church planting network has done in the month of May, we've set aside one Sunday to remember that we're not in this alone. What an amazing principle. There's, there's so many things that God is about doing as we work together, as we, as we pull resources, as we as we stand together with our gifts and our, 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 our abilities. There's so many things that God is about doing. I mean, just consider a, a, a few. In this network that we're a part of, the Acts 29 network, it's a church planting network. Across our country, in, in the world, 142,932 other people have joined on a Sunday to gather and think about what Jesus is doing through planting churches, through being people who make disciples, through being churches that worship and lead others to worship. 
They're gathered in 468 gospel-centered, Jesus-loving, spirit-empowered churches. We bridge across 18 denominations in 61 countries on six of seven continents. And maybe the seventh, I don't even know if there's enough people that stay there long enough for us to put a church there. So I think we've got it covered. But there's way more work to be done. To the ends of the earth. And in 2012 alone, Acts 29 has been around since the year 2000, 12 years. This is what God's been doing over that 12 years. But in 2012 alone, 19,259 baptisms because God's word was proclaimed. The gospel was proclaimed. His power was seen and his mission was committed to. You see, these are the very principles, the very principles that we've been talking about today are the very principles that these people are living for, that these other churches that we partner with and network with are, 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 are living for. A commitment to Jesus and, and to be his witness in the world, a reliance on his power, the power of God through the Holy Spirit, proclamation of the gospel that saves and sanctifies, committing in the face of whatever trouble comes and recognizing we're not by ourselves. Sometimes we receive support. And sometimes we give it. You see, Paul talked to these two church, this, this church in Philippi. As he's doing these missions, he tells them. He gives them two things. He says, he says to them, look, your sacrificial generosity towards Jesus' mission, it, it reaps God's rewards. It, it's it's, it's going to be a blessing on you. There's fruit for it in you. When we give sacrificially, when we give of what we have sacrificially to further God's mission, there's fruit for you and for me. God's blessings are in that. I'm not promising you that you're going to get rich. I can't tell you, you give me $1,000 and I'm going to give you 10 back. But I can tell you this, if you give towards God's mission, you won't miss it. You won't. There is fruit in it for you. There, there is a reward in it for us. And then he says also, he says, funding Jesus' mission is a part of God's mission and it pleases God. Hey, you know what? I, I, I don't, I'm not in need. I've learned to be wherever I'm at. The, the passage before this says this. I, I, I'm not talking about being in need, but I am grateful that you've done this because I know there's fruit that increases to your credit, but also it is a pleasing sacrifice to God. You cannot, you and I, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, cannot be more accepted more loved, more approved of by giving. We can't. We cannot earn our standing before God. But when God lays his expectation on his people, it pleases him when we obey. I mean, isn't that what we want? To please the God who saved us unconditionally, that, that approves of us fully, that accepts us and calls us his children. Isn't that what we want? Just to, just to see him smile. To know, to expect and, and be able to, to, to count on hearing words, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that, isn't that something that, that should move us and motivate us? But what if, what if this church hadn't helped Paul? What if Paul had never went? Would God's word have spread? In his sovereignty, I think it would. How did it happen? There's no telling. But today as we gather, today as we are in this place, we have to recognize that we are not in this alone. And there's a great work to be done. 
And so I want to celebrate what God is doing. I want to challenge us to live up to his mission. I want us to be a part of what Jesus is, 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 has commanded us to do. I want this church to be a part of that. And I want us to celebrate. And we're going to take up an offering, and we're going to send the, all the proceeds from that offering, and we're going to send it to, uh, to, to church planters to facilitate planting churches, to, to facilitate advancing the gospel, to, to facilitate uh, the, the um, movement of the gospel in places it's not moving now, that it's not happening now. We're going to do that. But before we do any of that, let me just, let's, let's just get real personal and real practical. In this church, and if you're visiting this church, maybe it's something you need to think about as part of where you go to church or what, what body of believers you connect to, or maybe you just need to connect and commit to being a part of what God's doing here. What if we could learn and apply these principles? I mean, seriously, learn and apply these principles. What if we really believed this? Acts 28, 33, 31 it ends, the, it ends the, the book of Acts. It says, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. This is Paul. Paul had gone into Rome, and this is kind of where the, the letter ends us. We don't know what happens to Paul. We don't know what, what, the, what the outcome is of the next verse or what it would be. We just know that he lived there for two whole years. While he was there, he was living at his own expense, and he welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, the beauty of this story is that where it starts, it's a very definite beginning. You will be my witnesses, command. Power comes on them. They witness. You see them move from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. And then with Paul out into Asia at that point, that's the idea. That's the end of the world as far as they know. Somehow now, 2,000 years later, it's made it all the way to America and to to Springfield, Missouri. We're here today because somebody lived and believed in this message. What if we could learn and apply these principles You see, the story that ends in Acts doesn't have a definite ending as definite as its beginning. In Acts 29, in the Acts 29 network, we like to say it like this, that that the story continues. That that we would be the story in Acts 29, that if, if God was still writing the Scriptures, that our story would follow on, would be the same, it would look very similar, that God's power would be fulfilling God's mission, that His people would be proclaiming His message. At whatever cost to ourselves, so that he would be glorified. Now, currently, we're involved in church planning efforts. Because of, because of, um, not because of, let me say this differently. That in our small church, in, in, in our little bit of pe- our, our few people that we, we gather with, we've got a mission that we're seeking to strive and plant churches in Senegal. And maybe some of you don't realize the whole purpose of this, but the intent is not to go and just see believers saved. The intent is to bring the gospel, to plant that seed, and let the, let the church come forth. Last year we had two trips, three trips actually. This year we'll have three trips. We already have, we, ha- we have nine believers. In one of the villages we've adopted, we have nine believers. There are six who have been baptized. There's the makings of a church in a village. 
It's the start. We're there. We're doing it. We're part of it. But that's not all we're doing. In this city, in this city, we're striving hard, diligently to, to work and, and make a difference, to demonstrate the power and glory of God in the, in the ways we live and the things we're doing. That's not all we're doing. Matt Carlton came to us about, oh, man, two and a half, three years. It seems like forever ago. I feel like I've known him forever. That's how our relationship is. Difficult one. He came to us with this call to plant a church. And in recent, in recent months, we've been able to have a conversation because of the way God has worked and, and moved him through the different ministries of the church. He's gaining an experience that nobody in seminary is getting. Not that, he, not that there's anything wrong with seminary. I, I expect that he'll one day go to seminary. But right now, he's gaining a practical experience for planting churches that you can't get in school. He's learning what it is to do ministry, to proclaim the gospel, to love on people, to share with the world outside. The reality is, is that there's a process now being set in place and formalized so that, so that people like Chesley, who came just a few months ago and said, hey, I got this desire to plant a church, we get to work through this, this formalized process where we can begin to help him understand the call and formalize the process in such a way that raises him up and prepares him to go. Man, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing it would be if we were able to send more than we gather. What an amazing story that would be. How many people might be able to proclaim Jesus' glory in eternity because we sent so many people out. What an amazing thing. Part of behind-the-scenes work that you don't know what's going on now or don't necessarily always see is as part of the Acts 9 network, I get to influence and be a part of church planting all over our country. I get to assess and approve or deny church planters. And it's not on me. It's not, it's not like, oh, well, I don't like you. Or you're denied. We, we look intently for the call of God on the man of God who's bringing the message of God for the mission of God. And we get to be a part of that. One of the guys, we, one of the, guys the very first guy I assessed, just now, almost a year and a half later, got approved. It was pretty, pretty neat to see it all come full circle. He went through the process. He found out there's issues he needed to deal with. He dealt with them and became ready to plant the church, and God is now using him in a city up in, uh, near St. Louis. The, the thing is, is that we are building into our DNA to be a church-planting church. Part of our church budget goes to support the planting of churches. We give to church plants. We facilitate much of the work that's going on in Africa to facilitate our people to go and do the work that's going on in Senegal. And we give some to Acts 29 Central is what they call it now, just to ensure that they can do the, the, that they can function, that they can support the work that needs to be done. It takes a lot of effort to get that many church planters ready. It's not on this stat, but there's some 600 church planters, over 600 church planters now in training. And there's a staff of like three people. They try to run very lean, but they need funds to, to operate. And so we do that. But today, today, we're going to close it with a very specific call. Our call as a church, the vision of our church, is to be a church that worships and leads others to worship. You put that alongside Acts 29 language, and all that, the only difference is to be a church that plants churches. In every case, it's living for the glory of God. So we're going to close it down with this one question. What if, what if you took that seriously? 
What if you got hold of God's mission and lived it out as fully as he expects us to? What if? Let's pray. Father, I I thank you for your word and for your work. I I thank you for the purpose and the mission that you've given us. I thank you, God, that this is is so much more than just a, a moment to feel conviction, but that this is a moment to to celebrate your work, to worship you for it, to be in awe of you for it. You have been working this out since since the fall. You've had it planned since before the words, let there be light. God, I'm, I'm grateful for my part to play. I'm grateful for the work you've done in me. I'm grateful for this church and the people that, that you're growing up and that you're challenging and maturing and shaping and molding. I'm grateful for our opportunity to, pray, to proclaim your message so that others hear it and respond and are saved. I'm grateful, God, that we have something substantial and real to call people to. But, Father, I just pray that as we close this out and think about the work that you've done, that we'd be challenged to respond in a way that makes you smile. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We... uh, Man, I'm going to do something different. If you'll just, you can strum along, I don't mind. But at the beginning of the service, I intended to to go ahead and do a commissioning on Dave and um, uh, Cameron, who are going. If you guys would come on forward, I don't. I want you guys to get this before we go into this time of of response. I I almost tacked it to the end because I didn't do it at the beginning. As we go into this time of response, I, I want you to be challenged by that question. What, what if we were serious about this? What if you believed it? What, 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 would, what would your life be? What would be different in your life? I want you to be challenged by that. But as much as that challenge, I want you to celebrate, especially for those of you that are members of this church. We get to sin. We get to sin. It is our great opportunity to send two people to go and spread the gospel in a place where it is dark, brother. It is dark. I, I think the... It's less than 0.1% Christianity. In one, the, the village that these guys happen to be going to, there is no believer. None. But they're friendly to us, and they listen to the words proclaimed, and they think about them. And so just in this moment, I'm, I'm going to ask people to, the, if, if you're a community group member with one of them, if you're a family member, I'm just going to ask you to come up and, and stand around them. And we're going to take this time to close out this thought of, of us being a church that plants churches by first commissioning those to go to plant churches. So come on up if, you're, if you know them, if you want to put your hands on them and pray with them, come on up and do that. You guys take a second and just pray. If you're, if you're not up here, that's okay. There's no, don't feel bad about that. That's, there's nothing wrong with that. Just pray for them as they go. There's, there's health. If you're in the church, you know I got malaria the last time we went. There's money. There's difficulty. There's all kinds of things that they'll face. Just pray for God's blessing and provisions. We set them aside to go and do what we've been talking about doing.
But God, we, your people, long to see you work and you glorified and and your name proclaimed and, and Jesus, you made much of. We long for that. As we send them, I, I, I ask God for a great power. I know that these people, I, having been there, they, they look for this. They, they try to figure it out. God, work in them. May you rest on them in your spirit that they might be your witnesses. That, the, that their message would be clearly heard and that people would understand. God, I would, I would pray for this village that they would be moved by it. That it would be upended in the gospel. That, 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 the, that there would be a church that just would, would raise up out of this. And, the, and that the, the, the mosque would be used to, to become a place for Christians to meet and, and proclaim the beauty and majesty and glory of Jesus Christ. God, I pray. I pray that you would be with them in their health, with them in the finances, with them in the, the obstacles, the travel, the difficulties. God, I'm going to ask for your will that your, your name might be praised. Whatever you do, God, however it comes out, we're going to strive to worship you and honor you and glorify you and celebrate our opportunities to make much of you in this world. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So finally, as we come to this time where we really together as a church get to corporately respond, one of the, one of the things we're going to do today that's a little different, in fact, it was funny because everybody kept asking me where our little tithe box was that sits back there in the back. We're going to take up a special offering. And I told you, I, I, we've, we've talked about this the last couple of weeks for those that are here. We're going to do it a little different than drop it in the box. I, I want to make this an opportunity for us to worship as we give. You see, our giving is not about us just paying bills and and, and making sure that the lights stay, you know, that's, that's secondary. Certainly, it's got to happen. It needs to occur. We need to be able to do the work we've been called to do. But this moment of giving is a sacrificial act that's pleasing to God. And so as we consider this today, I just want to do it in such a way that, that we get to worship as we do it. So before you come and take communion, let the, let the little cup pass. And if you've got something that you want to donate towards the Acts 29 network and, and its purposes, if you want to, to put your regular offering in these cups, just do so. And then come and celebrate the reason that any of this matters, that God did decide to send his son. Jesus did come, die in your place for your sins and call you to faith in that. Just as, a, as an example, I keep patting my chest thinking it's up there. I'm not going to do anything, or I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I wouldn't do. And so above and beyond our regular tithe, this is a check that my wife, our family, is giving to the, to the, to the work of planting churches in our world. So, Matt, if you want to go ahead and play, I'll start these, and, and Dave's going to be at the back to collect them. If you guys would just pass them along. And then when you're ready... Come on and, and, and take communion and celebrate our gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If you need to pray, if you've got stuff you're struggling with, if there's things that you don't understand, or, or maybe even today as you've heard and you've just realized Jesus is your only answer, is the only hope for salvation, maybe you need to talk through that. There'll be people at the back. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to talk with you and help you deal with the things that you're dealing with just to minister and love on you. However you need to respond, I encourage you to do it.
Men of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Savior, bearing shame and scoffing rude in my place, condemned he stood, he sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And hallelujah, 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 hallelujah.
last song in a state of hallelujah. God, for what you've done, for what you continue to do. God, the work that you're preparing for us. God, may we go forth doing all of this because we know Christ is alive and he isn't dead in the grave anymore. And we worship because of that. If you're still responding, feel free to stay in your seats. But if you're not, if you want to sing with us, that'd be great. Scheme of hell 
No scoffer's crown, no burden great could hold you down in strength. You reign forever, let your church proclaim. Seed out this morning. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Oh, death. Where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. Our glory of God has defeated the night. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? And oh, church, come stand in the light. Our God is not dead. He's alive. He's alive. Christ is risen from the dead. Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with Him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead Trampling over death by death Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead We are one with Him again Come awake, come awake Come and rise up from the grave Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over death by death. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with Him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Lord Jesus, we love you. May our hearts and our spirits come awake, God, because we know you're alive, because we know the gospel is real, because we know it's true, because we know you're working. God, we, we is all in your power and in your sovereignty, God, and we rest in that. May we run into this city, into this country, into this world, God, bringing the gospel, knowing that you will work, because you say you will.